Hi. I'm Daniel. Matthew 6, 24 through 34. That's where we're going to start. I also forgot to tell Max the exact verses. So there you go, Max. I'm going to be in the ESV. Matthew 6. I'm an elder here. I love serving you guys. I'm honored. I'm also honored to sit at that table with Jill, Carol, Gary, Dennis, Jack, and Al. And we pray for you guys all the time, trusting that God's working and that you're saying yes to him as much as you know how. So, some of you have never struggled with anxiety before. You're probably in the minority, and you may at some point experience it, but I guarantee you that you know somebody who does. And so I want you to stick with me today, because we're going to be in the section of the Sermon on the Mount that's often titled, Do Not Worry, or Do Not Be Anxious. And I, I find it very interesting that this, this teaching is begun in almost every major translation that I checked out in verse 25. If you notice, that's where the header starts, and that's an arbitrary header that Bible translators have put in there it didn't, that didn't exist in the original texts. But I would probably, if I was sitting at the translation table, push back hardcore and say, guys, 24 has to be in there too, because... It's integrally tied to what Jesus is trying to say. So I'm very excited about today. Um, I come to you as a bit of a subject matter expert on anxiety, sadly, because <laughs> it's been quite a long journey. And the temptation with having lots of experience with anxiety is to come to bring to you the things that God's taught me over the years the bread that he's given me year in and year out to sustain me to keep walking and running the race. But that's not the point of today. I want to, in my sermon prep, guys, I kid you not, I was like, oh, we could talk about this. Uh, or, or there was this time that you spoke this to me, God, and that helped me move through my anxiety. Um, and if you're curious about any of those things, I urge you to ask because I'd love to share. But today, we're going to let Jesus do the talking, and I'm not going to add too much to it. I'm, I'm going to just add a, a couple of, of um, call it vamps. That's the, like a musical term for, you know, just playing with it a little bit more. But ultimately, I really want to sit under the teaching of Jesus, add some thoughts, we're going to hear some stories to help build our faith, and then we're going to pray. That's what we're going to be doing today. So, to the unanxious, stay with us. To the anxious saints in the room, we need God to move. I love that Asbury was brought up because God's doing something, right? But we know that good seed can fall on all kinds of soil. And so it's our prayer 
there and here today that the Holy Spirit's seeds of the word, the teachings of Christ, would fall on good soil that would produce fruit in our lives. Lord, that you would do that there, that you would do that here. And for us, us who have these afflictive thoughts, Jesus, we need you to show up today. It's only your word, your touch, your companionship that helps us to endure and to move forward and run the race that you've called us to. So come, Holy Spirit. Bring repentance. Bring deliverance. Bring endurance. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. All right. Here we go. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. (laughs) But seek first his the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble moran park church you have a father And as you seek and serve only him, you will have all that you need, no matter what. We're going to read it again. Hear, hear these words. Let them resonate in us, Jesus. 
talk to us. Talk to our hearts. Talk to our bodies that bear the weight of our anxiety. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor sow nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, a couple things to unpack. Firstly, one of the most beautiful things that Jesus is talking about here is being a whole person, being an integrated and whole person, if you can imagine a circle, just a perfect circle. And that's what he's getting at in that first verse. You can't serve both God and money. Just like Al helpfully pointed out last week. God's not looking for 90-10, 75-25. All of us. And this is who we were made to be as image bearers of God. Whole people. And this is who God is forming us into day in and day out. Is from a place of disintegration and division. Think about gluten-free bread. Just sucks. I made some gluten-free scones the other day, and you go to take a bite, and they just crumble out of your mouth. This is a good picture of a disintegrated life. It just crumbles. It falls everywhere versus wholeness. You may be familiar with the word shalom, which wholeness is wrapped up in the meaning of that word. It's who we were before the fall, and it's who we are going to be those who belong to God in Christ, 
when he returns. Whole. Hmm? Yes. Yes, amen. <laughs> Feel free, especially if you hear resonance, to amen or yep, you know, whatever sound really gets out the agreement. Um, so that's the, that's, our first, that's the first thing I want to draw out here. Disintegration to wholeness. Interestingly, when Jesus says, don't be anxious, the word anxious comes from the same Greek word family as division. So when he's saying, you can't serve both God and money, therefore, or because you cannot serve both God and money, serve God and don't be anxious. Don't be divided. Be whole. A whole person. This is who we are made to be. Secondly, In talking with Julia, who led music this morning, earlier this week, she said a quote that I wrote down because it was on point. She said, my anxiety feels detached from material things. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't speaking into it. Which, if you listen to this passage, you hear Jesus in a couple of different instances saying, don't worry about clothing. Well, I have a bustling Uh, closet at home with tons of clothes. I've never worried about that. So that part doesn't resonate. My fridge is also full, and I trust that it will be next week. So I'm not really worried about that. So the the resonance with what Jesus is saying here can be a little bit hard to, to grasp because the first century Jewish listeners to Jesus, these issues were a bit more relevant for them. This, is, this was what Jesus was speaking into because this is what they were dealing with. And that may be some of our reality right now, but for most of us, it's not. And I just want to comment that Jesus isn't just speaking to material anxiety, like Julia pointed out, that the word of Christ speaks into every anxiety that we have because I believe, and this is just me speaking here, that most, if not all, anxiety is rooted in a scarcity complex. I'm not going to have enough. And, and insert your situation into it. So it might be, I feel alone. I want to get married, and I'm anxious that I never will. I will not have enough. Like, I, I will always feel this lack And that's where the anxiety is rooted. Or it might be, I'm scared to die. I don't want to have a a painful death. And I'm scared that I'm not going to, like, that God's just going to leave me in that last moment. You know, like, I'm trying to just paint the picture that it doesn't matter the anxiety, the afflictive thoughts that we struggle with, that Christ is speaking his word to us today, saying, you can't add an hour to your life by being anxious or worrying It's useless. It's not going to help you. (laughs) And he's saying it doesn't matter what your anxiety is related to. You have a father. And as you seek and serve only him, you will have all that you need. No matter what. The third thing. Jesus is calling us back to our identity here. And I've hinted at this already. But 
in verse 32, Jesus says that the Gentiles seek after this thing. Now, um, how many of you have seen The Chosen, the, the, the show? Okay, a lot of you. Even if you haven't, if you've spent any time in the Word, you know that the, the conflict or the division between Jew and Gentile is humongous. And The Chosen paints a particularly helpful picture for us Westerners to understand the attitude that Jews had towards Gentiles. It was, it was like filth, like not God's people, and sadly, not God, that wasn't God's heart or attitude towards the Gentiles either, but it was the Jewish mindset. So imagine being a Jew, hearing Jesus saying, the Gentiles seek after these things. That's a, that's a forceful pushback, if you will. Because if I'm a Jew, I'm hearing Jesus saying, oh, if I'm worried, then I'm acting like a non-believer. Now, Jesus isn't saying this with condemnation. He's saying this to the Jew to say, so come back. Remember that you have a father. This is who you are. He knows what you need. And not only does he know what you need, he'll give it to you. So it's this call back to identity. And then lastly, verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what does it mean to seek? I'm going to pose that question, and I'd love to hear any answers. What does it mean to seek something? Search. Pursue understanding. Scout it. Actively pursue. Great. Let go of everything else. That part, I love that because it reminds me of uh, an elite athlete seeking after a goal. Paul says things like this in his letters. Go after the goal. Like, like it's your race. Run your race. And he draws on these athletic images. Making changes to the way that I live now so that I'm better prepared to go after the goal that is ahead of me. It's not just continuing to eat ice cream every night. It's actually like, I'm going to change because I want to live a healthier lifestyle. I'm going I'm to endure like those sugar headaches to try to live differently, to seek. And then what is the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's sort of reminiscent of the prayer that we were taught to pray earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There's an echo there. And, and what's being said there is the kingdom of God has come in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful kingdom and there's a, there's a king on that throne. And so as we seek the kingdom, first we seek his kingdom inside of our hearts. Are we bowed low before the king, seeking first his kingdom in us. Come have your way. 
Purge me of all sinful ways. Help me see the things I don't see in myself. Draw me into your life, Jesus. I want to go your way. I want to walk with you. And his righteousness, it's sort of this kingdom, sorry, watch. It's this kingdom ethic. It's the, it's the way of Christ. It's the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's walking in his ways. It's forgiving as we've been forgiven. It's keeping our, our spiritual practices quiet because the Father sees what's done in secret and rewards that. It's loving our enemy and so on and so forth. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, if we want a starting place, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's walking with him. And of course we know it's not just trying harder and it's not earning God's favor or approval. But you can't read the Sermon on the Mount and not hear Jesus saying, this is going to take all of the skin in the game. This is, to, this is going to take all of you. It's going to literally demand your whole life. I want all of you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Can you let your soul hear that today? And, and let the anxious, the anxious places inside of you hear Jesus say, you have a father. Christian, you have a father. You are not wandering any longer. You belong. And as you seek and serve only him, you will have all that you need no matter what. Do you get the idea? Praise God. Praise Him. Come, Lord. Resonate it in us. Okay, the last thing, the last little tidbit that I want to um, notice is when Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Now, that's a challenging one here, too. Um, but simply, I think that Jesus is addressing us today as His church, saying some of us lack faith. And this is not a place of condemnation. This is a place of invitation into more. That's what this whole message is about, right? It's, it's not just him leaving us stranded saying, you're going to worry. He's saying, hey, I've got, I've got a way for you to turn. I've got a, a place for you to repent from in serving money or in serving whatever else it is to serving God and finding freedom and all that you need but some of us lack faith. And we all did at one point. Everybody lacked faith at one point. And now we as Christ followers, we have faith. So of course we can trust the Lord to fill us with more, right? He can reveal this to our hearts. And one of the best ways that I know how to do that is by hearing stories, is by listening to others' encounters of God's presence with them in their anxiety so that I can hear and remember he's still doing it. In real time, right now, with our world, our struggles, he's alive and he's working. 
So, I am, um, let me make sure that there's nothing else. Before we do that, though, any questions? Okay. How? Who's our enemy? Oof. That was just a passing comment. That wasn't even the point. Good question. We've each got... Some of us don't have any. You know, I think... I think when it comes to people in our lives who are actively opposing us because of our faith. And there's, that's part of what Jesus is addressing when he's talking about loving your enemies because there will be resistance in following Christ. And my mind goes to our battles not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. And yet... Loving the powers and principalities isn't what Jesus is saying there. He's talking about people in your life who great you, who hate you. So. Oh, good question. Uh, thank you, yeah. Um, he said, what about if those who hate you also think that they're following the Lord? Great question. Should they be hating if they're following the Lord? Hmm. Lord have mercy. I think like, like most of us parents know, we teach our kids, you can only control yourself. Yeah, those are, those are great questions. Maybe that's actually a big source of anxiety. I know, I know of some relationships in the room, some people in the room who have relationships where that's, that's reality. And what do you do about that? And how is Christ in, in the midst and working in that? Hmm. It's good. Right. Yeah, we, we are to love. I mean, that is the call, certainly. Thanks for asking those questions. Yeah, Cindy. Yeah. 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 Um, that's such a good question. Um, I can repeat the question. I'm not good at that. So the question centers on what, where's, the, where, where's mental illness situated in this? 
where somebody can't always necessarily control or there's chemical imbalance that exists there? It's a great question. Um, First off, we can pray for deliverance because the mighty merciful hand of God is able to pull out anybody of anything. We also pray for endurance. That's a big thing. That's where we're going today in prayer. So this is at the heart of of today. I, I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder 10 years ago. And so like living in that and never, I mean, if you're in anxiety, you never feel like you're going to get out of it. You just, you don't. And there is chemical stuff happening there, but over years' time, we can see the merciful hand of God lift us out. And it can happen just like that. It can. And so we ask God for it. But we also don't get frustrated with the person who just, like, can't pull themselves out or they've prayed and God hasn't seemed to deliver them that's not graciousness that's not patience that's not long suffering and those are all things that are necessary to walk with somebody who has afflictive thoughts who has like chemical stuff going on also I know that there's many thoughts about this but meds are also a viable way to go in some people's perspectives and there's there's but that's that's like another component of the conversation it's such a complicated and broader issue here but i think that what i'm bringing to the table today um, is a the teachings of christ and just sitting underneath his teachings and allowing his teachings to continue year in and year out to remain authoritative in my heart even as I deal with anxiety disorders or others as well. And, and then walking, putting one foot in front of the other, walking forward. And you need Christian community to do that. I'm going on and on now. So, anyways... That, that, I think that's just part of where I, I go initially with that. Yeah. God's patient. One more. Absolutely. A lot of our prayers end up looking like psalms. Sort of, um, I am in so much pain, God. My body hurts. And you are worthy. And I love you. Come and lift me out. That's what a lot of the, the spaces end up being like. And he does it. He can do it. So, I'm going to share a couple of my stories, but I want to invite up my sisters, one of whom is also my wife, and um, have you guys share, testify to what God's done in your life. Yes, please. Um, I'll come down here and you guys... 
Yeah, I'm Amelia. I'm married to Daniel. And I'm his sister. <laughs> that sounded so weird. <laughs> um, okay, so I would not have classified myself as an anxious person until um, I was postpartum with both of my daughters. I had some really severe postpartum anxiety um, after both girls. Um, that was quite debilitating. Um, my panic attacks were so intense that I was on the floor and I could not take care of my children for weeks. Um, it was very scary. Um, and now I can see where God pulled me out and where he rescued me. I'm not living in that space right now. But I think the cry of my heart was while I was in it. And I remember asking Daniel, like, where is my rescuer? If God is my rescuer, where is he? I'm still in this. I'm still suffering. He isn't rescuing me. He isn't taking away the pain. He's not taking away my circumstances. I need to know where he is in this. And it felt kind of like my faith was like on a balance. Like, this is where the rubber meets the road, God. Like, if you can't show up now, like, I'm going to question where you are. And Daniel, in his beautiful wisdom, was like, he is showing up. He's just showing up through me. I'm here right now, and I am the tenderness of God. I'm the unconditional love of God. I'm the, the patience of God while I am with you on the floor. And God was through my mother-in-law, who lived in California, and was on the phone with me from midnight till 5 a.m., just while I could, so I could try to sleep. Sometimes she was talking to me. Sometimes she was just on the other line while I tried to sleep. That is the Lord who never slumbers or sleeps. That was God for me. And God was my two dear friends who three minutes later after I told them not to come were in my driveway and showed up and sat with me while I sobbed. That was God in his persistence and his showing up. That was God. And, and God, is, God was in my two little girls who... They are the image of God, and I found moments of peace when I was sitting on the floor playing with them, just trying to stay upright. That was God, the image of God in them, giving me moments of peace. And I think that has reframed so much of, like, even the mental illness part of, like, God isn't going to necessarily, like, show up audibly or, like, physically pull me out of, you know, some of those moments, but like he is in other ways. He's in other places. I did like EMDR therapy, which is not like, oh, that's God doing EMDR therapy with you. No, like that was him through my mother-in-law doing therapy with me. That was a rescue. That was him showing up. That was saying, I'm with you. I'm not taking away the anxiety right now, but I'm with you. And it's this mysterious place where the spirit of God meets humanity and the body of Christ gets to be him to me, to you. Um, and so that answered some of my questions of like, when you're in the pain, where is he? Sometimes he's, he's in this mysterious place of where humanity meets the spirit of God. That's good. Um, for me, I always have been an anxious person. That's like as far back as I can remember as a kid, staying up in bed scared that a tornado was going to hit my house or thinking about ticks. That was a big one for me for many years. I had all of these irrational fears when I was a kid and um, similar to 
what Amelia was saying, I can look back and see all the ways that God was in my story um, and how years and years and years of fear, just like deeply entrenched fear, um, God pulled me out through my mom speaking truth to me or through a song that resonated deeply in my heart. Uh, even as a kid, I remember singing In Christ Alone in music class. I went to Holland Christian, and we were singing No Guilt in Life, No Fear in Death. And I was, like, in second grade or something, just like, no fear in death. Like, <laughs> uh, and I believe that was the Lord and the Spirit of God at work in my, my little heart. Um, but this is recurring for me even so recently. Um, I, I've been walking through a deep season of anxiety um, kind of ironically, kind of sadly, about school shootings. Like, this is a problem, obviously, in our in our country. And um, as someone who works with college students and um, leads a big group of college students in worship every Sunday night, I can't get this image out of my head of what that disaster would look like in our setting. And it was just keeping me awake, um, stressing me out, I'm classic, like, worst-case scenario planner. Um, and for me, I started going to counseling, or back to counseling, um, this past fall. And my counselor used this image that was really helpful to me, which she was like, you, you want to know if you should have five bags of rice for your, like, you know, end-of-the-world store in your basement? Like, um, if everything were to go wrong now, you want to know if you should be storing like five bags of rice until they, you know, get the power grid back on, everything's fine. Or do you need like 500? Because you could be in this for so long. And she's like, the limit does not exist of how prepared you could be. Um, and so her challenge to me was ask God what he wants you to store up and what you just need to release to him. Um, and so for me, obedience has looked like asking him, should I keep going to counseling? Should I get on a medication? And I don't know, this is all of these conversations kind of colliding, but for me, um, just inviting him into the process of helping me make decisions about what to do with my anxiety uh, has actually really been a helpful part of this too. So um, how prepared do I need to be, Lord? Like what is my responsibility, but what at the end of the day do I need to say, I could bring a two to the table and you could still bring an eight and make it a 10. Like, I, I trust that you have power in my weakness that I, I don't see and can't realize until I look back. And so a lot of the story for me is hindsight on trusting that if God could get me through when I was a little first grader singing in Christ alone, and that spoke to my heart and spoke to my fear in that moment, then he can do that now. Um, and he uses all kinds of things to do that. So. After graduating from college, I went to grad school in Vancouver, BC. And while in grad school, I realized, oh, I took out a lot of loans to go to college. And I was 22, 23 years old at that point, and I didn't have a grasp on how much I actually owed. And one day, I stayed home, and I made some phone calls, and 
figured out like, okay, when is all of this money gonna start coming due and how much is it? And I wrote it all out on a post-it note and it was $125,000. And I was alone in the house that I was staying at and I just hit the ground, overwhelmed. Like a 23-year-old, you know, when you're 17, 18, and your parent asks you, hey, are you good to have me co-sign on this loan? You're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and, then, and later on, you see that number, and you realize that that's your number. And so I hit the ground, and the Holy Spirit said, remember the birds of the air. And just, boom. He spoke to my heart. So that's one instance. Um, and that's why I continue to pray that God would speak to our hearts. Because he knows how to get our attention. He knows how to speak to us in a way that we can hear. And that's specific to the questions that we have. Sometimes he does it quickly. Sometimes it takes some seeking out. The second one I was, I left grad school early to go and marry a girl in Seattle, not this girl. And it was a tragically horrible mess that I found myself in. Bit of a Christian cultic family that was very manipulative and fear-driven. And I didn't know how to get out. And I had moved to Seattle. I was working for her dad. I was being grilled theologically every Friday night over dinner. It was this. It was just a mess. And I was anxious, and I was, I was in the hospital a couple times, scared that I was having heart attacks. And uh, one night, trying to go to bed, pillow over my head, body as tight as I've ever felt it, and again, I heard God say, I'm with you. And my body went to peace and I went to sleep. And I woke up the next day, and it wasn't all gone. And in fact, I still had all of the same anxieties. And I found it very interesting that God would say that to me on the darkest night of my life. I'm with you. But that was what he wanted to speak to me. And if you look at the Bible, that's a pretty frequent message, right? So again, God knows how to speak to us in our anxieties. And the last one, um, and I actually love that you, you guys highlighted the people that God's used to minister to you through. Um, mine, are, mine are more kind of direct, me and him, um, without people involved as much, at least these three. So this last one, COVID is, uh, quarantine is happening. My wife is a nurse. And we hear that they're calling for any and all volunteers to help out, um, especially on the other side of the state, which is where it was the worst at, at some points. And Melia and I were both trying to discern, should she throw her name in the hat and offer up to go? We didn't know much at all at that point in time about COVID, and there was a ton of fear going around, and we, I was wrestling with it in my own self. So now you have this question on the table of, 
Is she going to go and die on the other side of the state? And that's where my mind goes to, right? It's like, I don't want to single parent my daughters. I, I, so that's where I sat. Would go on walks with God and was sitting in the backyard and I just laid it all out on the table to him. It was like, here's what's up, man. I don't want a single parent. I'm scared that she's going to go across the state. She's going to die. How am I going to even, like, do parenthood with just right now, you know? Like, uh, for a couple of weeks, being just with me and my daughter. And it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And God amazingly just said to me simply, there's no greater honor than to move toward the vulnerable. And my fear just shattered and she came back from a run and I'm on a, in a puddle on the ground and she's like, what happened? And I said, like, you've got to put your name in. You've got to help. You can. She wasn't, she wasn't working full time at that time either. She was like a day a week. So that's why she had the availability to go. And so I give you these examples just to say that the Holy Spirit can speak into those places and bring you forward in your journey. He can do it. Praise God for that. Okay. Let's pray. So, Julia, please come on up. So the first thing that we're going we're gonna to lean into this morning is repentance. With, with Jesus' words, oh, you have a little faith in mind. This is not a word for everybody in the room. If you're struggling with anxiety, you're not necessarily having little faith. But right now, together, I want to ask the question to the Holy Spirit, each of us in the quiet of our own hearts, am I that? And if so, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not trusting. And come to him, and let's call it what it is, because there's no moving forward if we're not calling it what it is in our lives. My lack of trust in you is me living like an unbeliever. I'm not trusting that I have a father who as I seek and serve only him, I will have all that I need. And I want to. So forgive me. So let's do that together.